nah, nah. Nah, just go, we go straight in. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Don't worry about any of that nonsense. We, we go straight in. The button has been pressed. So that means we are back. Right. So this week's going to be a bit different because we can't do the guest, the guest. And why is that, Yudi? Well, Nathan, because I think a couple reasons. Firstly, I'm frankly just too good at the game, but also more importantly, <laughs> because I actually know who this week's guest is. So, Yeah. So congratulations to you, because for the first time you chested down a guest for me. So I appreciate that. You know what I mean? Finally, it's the link up. Not every day me feeding you. Sometimes you give me something. Yeah. So that's good to see. It's good to see. Thank you. It's teamwork, like, you know, you're you're the Bebeto to my Ronaldo, like, it's just one of those. Listen, uh, you've just alienated half the audience, but anyway, listen, (laughs) let me me talk some more sense and bring it back. So this week, we can't do the guest to guest, but what I want to do, actually, I want to make reference to the show that came the week before. So with Dedrick Boyata, if you've not listened already, I'll try not to throw any spoilers in there. I apologize if I do. But I really, really enjoy speaking with him. And this is a guy who, you know, obviously he's played for City and so on. But in Celtic, he's played for one of the most well-supported clubs in the world. And with that, one thing I found, you is that there are a lot of listeners. The, the listens were high. <laughs> the downloads were high last week. And, you know, this is really interesting because... It was good because he shared a story in there which nobody had heard before. It's a story which he kept himself. And, you know, full disclaimer here, Yudi and I, we spoke about somebody telling a story because I didn't tell him it was going to be Dedrick in advance, but we spoke about it because Dedrick was concerned that what he would say would cause some level of backlash. But the whole point of it is, because this is why, you know, we decided that we should keep it in, the way that life works and football works, there are people who want to believe whatever they want to believe. And Dedrick managed to tell his story, which gives him closure. And for the people who like him, they'll still like him. The people who don't, they won't. But for people like yourself and myself, you get to see the bigger part of the story. And, you know, that there is essentially the point of this show itself. So to have that moment, that felt spectacular. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's important. Like it was, it was first. It was great to hear him just being so open and being able mm-hmm. to like tell his story from his standpoint as well, and yeah. just speak his truth. But like, there's been a lot made about the more than just an athlete movement. Um, I think though that starts with the appreciation of the fact that footballers, professional athletes in general, are people <laughs> who mm-hmm. face every day problems that they have to work through who face decisions about their careers their jobs their families like the rest of us do and I think to to get to a point where we can have role models as well that we really want to love and respect we have to first have that appreciation that they are people first so I thought that was a great starting point for Dedrick to be able to come on and just tell his story from his standpoint and hopefully that will resonate with people and they'll they'll get to understand his truth, which, which would be Yeah, awesome. for sure, for sure, for sure. Like, obviously, Yudi's preaching there. Nobody came to hear him preach, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> but I, I really enjoy speaking with him, and I love the fact that he felt comfortable enough to come onto the show and speak his own truth. And I think as an audience, like, when people talk like that, I become part of the audience. I think Yudi, you're part of the audience. And it's great to learn more about people. And this is the thing which mattered the most to me. For example, here is one Martin Boyle letting us know what he thinks. Loved the podcast with De- Dedrick Boyata. Um, definitely see him in a new light. Um, and he'll be welcome back at Celtic anytime. Once a hoop, always a hoop. You see? 
That was nice, huh? So that could be you. Thank you for sending that in, Martin. Thank you very much. And Yudi, how exactly would people be able to send some sort of voice note to the show? Um, link is in the, the show notes. Yes, yes. This guy's cracked it. After all this time, he's cracked it. The link, the link to do such things are available. Those links are available in the show notes. So please go have a look there. And thank you again, Martin, for sending those words. And it means an awful lot to me to hear that Dedrick's story can affect people in that way. So like I say, links to that are in the show notes, lest we forget as well. We're on Instagram where we're on Twitter and the handle is kickback underscore Nadem. I'm not going to ask Yudi to do that because he's useless. It's kickback underscore Nadem, Instagram and Twitter. And there is a playlist as well in there, which you can find in the show notes. So please go check out all that good stuff. And for now, let's get on with the show because unfortunately, as I say, I can't ask Yudi, but here is my conversation with Alex Iwobi. Yo. Oh, good. How about you? Yeah, very good. Thank you, man. Very, very, very good. Good to see you. Good to speak to you. Everything's going to be really good. Yeah, I, I trust you. Yeah, of course, man. Of course, of course, of course. It's not... Well, I think one of the things about the show that I do is not uh, for me, it's for you. You know? Yeah. So it's one of them, you can, you can say whatever you want, talk about whatever you want. You know, I'll ask certain questions, but it's up to you to respond how you want. And ultimately... It's never about what came before. It's not about the game on the weekend that just went or the game that's coming. It's about you as an individual. Okay. You know what okay. I mean? So for you, you telling your story is going to be better than me telling it anyway. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, yeah. All right, cool. So you ready, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm good. All right, perfect, perfect. So here you are. You're in South Manchester, currently playing for Everton. But I want to talk about how you got to where you are today. Are you up for that? Yeah, of course. Okay, <laughs> perfect, perfect. So coming through then at Arsenal's Academy, it seems like a place known to produce lots of talent year in, year out. But the question I want to ask in relation to that, does that mean that the high expectations are put on every player in that academy or is it only the ones who were sort of the best in that team? Um, no, it runs throughout the whole academy. I mean, to every player because we know it's only the lucky few that are going to break through out of like, say you're from scholar times, not everyone's going to make it mm -hmm. at all. But everyone believes because we're such a higher Arsenal and we learn a lot that the coaches always say to us, if you learn as much as you can here, there should be an opportunity elsewhere, which is the great thing about playing for Arsenal. But to break through to the first team, which everyone's, which was everyone's dream, is always difficult. Mm -hmm. so, but we always had that mindset. Everyone was hungry to try and be that one or two to break through. You know, it's interesting hearing you talk about how they do say, you know, you can play for the first team, but the talk is you can make it somewhere else as well. Because I think for lots of people, when they think about academies, and especially when they put their kids in there, the talk is I'm putting my kid in to play for this first team and that's it. And if they don't achieve that, then it's a failure. But it's, I never thought Arsenal would be the team where they do the opposite of that so clearly. Obviously, they will, when you're trying to bring your son into like, the academy, they're not going to go and say, you're signing at Arsenal to go somewhere else. Of course, you want to want your son to try and break through at Arsenal, but there's always light at the end of the tunnel. There's always somewhere else you can go, which is what I feel like the older you get, the coach starts to always know that if you keep on working hard, keep on whether it's at Arsenal, you can still get an opportunity elsewhere. So 
the, the, I think it's the older you get, the more people, like the more the coaches let you know. Yeah, yeah, that's good. What sort of age are you talking about then when you say the older you get? I would say for us, for me, when I was, when that kept on getting repeated and told, I would say when I was like 17, 18, before, before you get your first pro, because okay. not everyone their professional contract, so they let you know if you don't get a pro here, you should be able to get one elsewhere. Right, so then, what were your academy years like? Because you talk about how the concept people say, you know, you might go elsewhere and so on, but how good were you in those years? Um, it wasn't, it wasn't really smooth for me. I mean, I would say, obviously I signed at nine, then was doing well until the age of like 13, 14, when every, when people start to physically develop and people are getting big, some people are growing, some people are growing slower than others. And I happened to be one of them because I was one of, where I'm born in May, I'm one of the youngest in the team. Mm -hmm my school year so I wasn't developing as fast as others I was not as quick I was not as strong so at 13 14 I got um it's like almost like parents evening they told my parents that um that he's got a good ability good technique but he just needs to get stronger he needs to work on this otherwise he could get dropped sort of thing mm -hmm. was able to do well and then overcome that challenge and then at 15 I got the call up for no under 16 I got the call up for England which was a big accomplishment coming from Arsenal I mean Arsenal they believe best academy in England so players should get pushed towards England and I feel like there was, was it two of us there was a couple of us my age that got called up for England which was good but at 16 Everyone my school year who played for England got offered a pro contract straight away. Mm -hmm. They turned 17, barring me. So I was the only one that got told, um, you can take a scholar if you want, or you can go elsewhere. Wow. And that was like challenging itself, thinking, oh, I feel like I'm good enough. I played for England. Why am I not getting the same deal as um, all my other teammates that played for England? Brushed it aside stuck with Arsenal again because it's where I felt most comfortable most at home and where I can make a name for myself overcome that challenge now I'm played on played on did my two years scholar then eventually got my first year pro which I signed after my scholar then yeah just started breaking into the first team a year after which is which was good okay so you talk about an unconventional type academy setup given how well you've done since you made the first team but then when you did get close to the first team what were, what were those first moments like? Like, what was the generation of Arsenal players that were there at that time? At the time of breaking through, heck, when you're 17, when I was 17, sometimes you get the opportunity to train with, like, say, the ones that don't usually start, the, the ones that are usually on the bench, the ones coming back from injury. So I'll be training with, I was lucky enough to train with even Arteta, mm. Yarby, Shamak, Bentner. So you'll be able to train with them a few times and you see the, what the quality is like. So you'll get you ready for that first team experience. And this was at 17. And that's the good thing at Arsenal that no matter how young you are, there'll always be that opportunity to train with them at least. Mm -hmm. So that as well. And how did you find going and stepping up to train with them? Did you feel like 
you that was your level or did you feel like you had some way to go before you could be where they are? Um, when I first went to train with them, I was 17 and I feel like where I didn't even play under, at the times under 21s. So the tempo was just so different to playing 18s. Mm-hmm. So when I came in the, when I was playing in the training session, I was even training our position and it was a new challenge for me in, in, in itself, training our position, trying to learn what's going on. But I'm thankful I had Arteta that was playing on my team at that time in training and he was talking to me. So he, the first team players all at the time, they did like to help the players, which was good, which made it easier. But I just remember thinking after a while, the tempo is so fast. I really need to work on my, like, my physicality, how to position my body between man and the ball, take the contact, release the ball quicker. There were so many things I need to learn. And yeah, it was, it was a big lesson at 17 to that training session. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Like that's the, you could argue that's like the gift and the curse of being at Arsenal's academy. It's a great academy which gives you opportunities, but then the jump to the first team for such an elite team, like it's, you have to be ready. You have to be yeah. at that standard. There's not like a softly, softly, whatever. Like you have to be elite from the jump. And as you've seen through the fact that you played so many games for them, you did do that. So what I want to ask now is, when do you think you got the full respect of the first team? Was it before or after you made your debut? I feel like it was before because um, at the time, Wenger wouldn't just throw a youngster who he feels is not ready. Mm-hmm. And he regularly chats to the captain. I can't remember who the captain was at the time because Mickey was injured quite a lot. But you would regularly chat to the players to see what you think. Do you reckon like this player is comfortable sort of thing? And then, yeah, so I got that respect early before even making my date, before even going on the preseason tour, which I did. Um, the players would come to me and say, oh, that was good. They'll they make you feel comfortable, have banter, I start chatting to you. So you yourself, especially you know when you've had a good session, but when the players are all having banter and they're saying, oh, that was a good shot, that was a good pass, it's, it's, it's warming to hear and it makes you feel like, oh, maybe I'm ready and to get that respect before I even made my debut was actually very nice. Yeah, that's, that is special. And for your case especially, as I was looking more and more into your career in detail, there's lots of praise on the internet from players, from past players, and lots of respect as well and praise from Arsene Wenger. And I'll be honest, like I'm, I'm you know, I'm older than you, like old, old. And Arsene Wenger, is, he's an iconic figure for me. And there's so much out there of him praising you and what he said, you know, he didn't, he wasn't fully impressed by you at the start, but then he realised you're a very, very intelligent footballer and stuff like this. And I think to myself, if Arsene Wenger ever said, gave me a compliment, I will take that to the grave. I'll be saying that 50 years after I've retired. <laughs> so <laughs> to get to my point anyway, you so people are praising you. You made your start very early, relatively speaking. So what do you think it was about your game then that meant that you ended up playing so many games for a club who were striving to achieve everything at the time? Um, well, for me, before breaking through, Wenger, he actually tested me saying if I can play in multiple positions because growing up, my favourite position was actually playing as an attacking midfielder mm-hmm. in the midfield. So he tested me playing out wide, up front. And this was at the tw- when I was playing 21s. And I, personally, I feel like I did very well. So then he now said like, oh, he's ready, ready. I feel like his best position is actually in the midfield. That like, even though we've given him a trial everywhere, his best position is in midfield. And what he what he always told me 
And what impressed him the most is my ability to go forward and go forward with the ball as well as keeping the ball. That mm-hmm. like, able to take the team up the pitch or able to play a forward thinking pass because Arsenal were always a team known for keeping the ball, keeping possession. But when I was playing 21s or training with the first team, I was always able to play a like penetrative, I can't even say the word, penetrative <laughs> pass. <laughs> so yeah, that's what he was impressed by. And he said that just as long as you're able to do that for the first team, then you always have a chance. And I was doing it in training, he gave me the opportunity and I was doing so. Yeah, it's tough. So, that the Arsene Wenger last few years, you know that's a that those are big years for Arsenal, because he he was a fixture. Arsenal were Arsene Wenger. So what? How did you find those last few seasons, especially when you got to the point where you knew he was going to leave? Was that a tough time for the club, or was it something which just was just business as usual? Um, I wouldn't say it's business as usual because for me breaking through, it was all new to me. Mm-hmm. I was finding it a bit weird that all, all these speculations that he's going to leave. And to be, to, if we're going to be honest, he wasn't like we weren't the invincibles. We weren't the same Arsenal that was at his time where they were invincible and winning trophies, even though we'd win the odd FA Cup here and there, which is still an achievement in itself. So, like, we weren't doing as well as you'd like or we, we would like to do. And you're hearing all these speculations. It was a bit like, oh, is he going to leave? Everyone was on edge. And sometimes in the change, it would be a bit like, wow, it's a bit tense. Like, we don't know what's going on. Like, all these rumours. But then the day, I can't remember exactly the day, but he told us that at the end of the season, he's going to leave. Everyone was in big shock because of what he's done for the club. And even though it's all rumours, we just still didn't want to believe that he's going. Mm. It was just a mad... I remember when he told us it was mad. Like, the whole... I think that week, everyone was just like, wow, is he actually, he's actually going. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That's crazy. And you mentioned you were winning the odd FA Cup, as you say, which is which is still kind of nice. But obviously, <laughs> it's, but obviously the the expectation at a, play, at a place like Arsenal is higher than winning the odd FA Cup based on yeah. what came before. Like, you know, the only team that's, that went through a whole season undefeated in the league, like the standard's very, very high. So when things change a little bit at the club and Wenger, you know, doesn't have the same sort of success as he once had. You start to have like the rise of channels like Arsenal Fan TV. And Mm -hmm. I'll be honest, for as much as at times, you know, as a neutral, certain things can be funny. There was always that feel that for whatever they were doing, there was the criticism always traveled further on the channel than say praise and things like that. Cause that's what we would see socially and so on. And I can say as a neutral, certain bits would be funny, but the reality of the situation is as a player, I thought to myself, I wonder how I would feel about that. So how was it for you guys going through that point when that channel is was essentially rising to the very top at that point? Um, to be fair, it was never really discussed that much. Um, the odd comment that people found funny would be brought into the change rooms, but I feel like every player just ignored it. And that focus, because we knew... At the end of the day, everyone has that platform or has that voice of freedom so they can say whatever they want. But I don't. it wasn't discussed that much in the change room. Like everyone just focused on themselves. criticism. But I feel like the main criticism that really matters is from yourself. Yeah, that's, that's, you see, that's, that is the correct answer. Like, you know what I mean? You train well, that's the correct answer. <laughs> but like, it, I know I, I, I believe what you're saying. That channel for a spell got so big. That's 
all I saw on the timeline. So for you guys to be able to turn you back on that, credit to you because other people, like that was the talk of everything. And it didn't it didn't matter. You guys could win a game 4-0, but it wasn't 5-0. So you get, yeah. you know what I mean? And uh, But you know what's mad? Those same people that will be criticising you will be the same people after the game. They'll be like, oh, you done well. But it's when the cameras come, I feel like, I don't know. It's just all of a sudden just mm. someone else. But yeah. uh, yeah, no, it just comes with, comes with the game. Yeah, well, it came, it came with... Your they get your game at Arsenal at the time. That's the thing because that obviously other ones do exist, but that was by far I thought the biggest one. And I thought you know as a neutral, it's easy to enjoy it, but as a player, some criticism or whatever, if based on results or whatever, could be relatively fair. But certain things which aren't, you know, I'm just happy in my career. I didn't really pay attention to anything, so overall, like I was happy. I well, I I came happy. I left happy. But anyway. For Everton fans listening, we are going to get to Everton. Don't worry. This is not an yeah. Arsenal podcast. I promise you as well, Alex. Yeah. So yeah. one of my last few questions about Arsenal then. So this is what I really need to understand now. So in your last season at Arsenal, I think that was in 2018, 2019. Is that right? Yeah. So you played 51 games. You scored six goals. And those are the biggest numbers of your career. So at that point, most players start to enter the road of I'm going to commit my future long-term to the club where I'm at because now I'm a regular. I'm playing all these games. So how on earth do you take a hard right and end up leaving the club after your most productive season for the club? Um, so what happened was I've now gone to African Cup of Nations mm. and... We did well. We we managed to finish third in the African Cup of Nations, and I've been given three weeks off from Arsenal. Bearing in mind, I haven't heard anything else from anyone anyone else. I just got told from Arsenal three weeks off, come back. You've had a long season, mm-hmm. rest up. So I did my three holidays, friends, family. Then the last holiday I did with my family was literally the week of transfer deadline day and I'm in Dubai with my family so three four days before deadline day we've now heard there's an interest from Everton I feel like because Arsenal were trying to get rid of some players anyway because of like I don't know money issues or whatever so they I got told from Una Ember at the time that he doesn't want me to leave no matter what that he feels I'm a valuable player and will be needed next season so I'm just on holiday chilling then I get this interest from a couple clubs, Everton being one, and they're saying, oh, we're interested. So to have this, like, rumour someone's interested in you, for a player, it's a special feeling, like, wow, I yeah. wanted clubs. But then, three, four days, we just got told, like, we got told it's a rumour, We that my agent's saying, oh, we don't feel like it's going to happen. But then, the last day, the last day, um, it's become, like, something strong, like, they've put an offer on the table, and it's almost an offer where Arsenal can't really turn down because they can't get rid of other players. Mm. It's now basically in my court sort of thing. Bearing in mind, I'm in another country in Dubai. Mm. So I spoke with my family. We thought the best decision was to maybe go make a name for myself at another club hopefully go make a name for myself at another club, new challenge, like away from home. Maybe this is what I need to kick on my career. So 
rushed, was able to sign everything, kept the Dubai hotel that I was staying at, and just in time, literally one minute before deadline wow. ended. And that's how the decision came across. And how old were you at the time? Uh, this is two years ago, 22. That's a big statement at 22 to bet on yourself to create something new after having the year that you just had. That is yeah. a very... 23, I was 23. Okay. But even yeah. still, that's a very big call. Being at a club from nine, now being established in the first team and then choosing that. Is it what were you worried about? Because I've seen certain things online. It said that maybe you're worried about being having the academy graduate tag at Arsenal if you stayed there and stuff. Did that play into your mind at all or not? Oh, not at all. Not at all. 2023 20, saying, okay, so I'm very comfortable here, but instead I'm going to go somewhere else. That's, yeah. That's... No, it was a big decision. I remember me and my dad were going back and forth on the on the boat and we were on saying, oh, like, do you really want to do this? Like, you're so comfortable in like You've grown up in London. Like, you're going to be away from home. This is your boyhood club. And I said, yeah, maybe it's time that I need that challenge. The way, obviously, it was Marco Silva at the time, the way he was obviously persuading me and obviously Everton's very ambitious. Mm. And I've, I felt like this was the challenge that I needed. Okay. So, as I say, so you signed for Everton, which is a big club with big expectations. Slightly different to Arsenal's, but big club with big expectations. So what are your emotions like then once you've signed the contract and now you're heading up north, you're leaving the M25 for the first time. When you're heading up north, how are you feeling? Are you nervous? Are you excited? How was it? Um, I was actually excited. I was actually very excited. Um, the whole culture is different up here. Even when I was just hearing the Scouse accent at first, I was thinking, <laughs> no, it was a whole different experience, but I was so excited. You know, as you came back from my holiday, I was thinking, no, I'm eager to go. Like, just get me my couple suitcases, what I need to get me up north. That's what I did. Yeah, that's, that's tough. And so th- I guess this was then your first time walking into a dressing room and not having those close relationships with everybody there. Like, how does, how does your personality fit into a new space? Are you the guy who'll go around saying, hey, what's up, everyone high-fiving, or are you a bit more quiet? I normally keep myself to myself, but I'm, I'm quite bubbly. But where you've, you've played against these guys several times before mm. and maybe if you go a couple of times in London, you probably, I think I bumped into a couple of them before even signing or before even coming to Everton player. So just said hello. It was, it was actually, everyone's quite welcoming. Everyone's proper welcoming. Mm. Like, everyone will stop and say hello. Like it's, it's mad. So it was actually easy for me to fit in. Hey, listen, that's, that's the difference. That's up north. People are nice, you know. Bro, I'm telling you now, it's it, like when I first moved up and I'm, going to the shop and random people are saying, good morning. They don't know who I <laughs> Wow. Like, even that itself, I was like, no, that don't even happen in London. <laughs> that's, that's the thing now. I feel like having spent time in London, that London's obviously a great place, got lots of great people, but I feel uh, like someone's always got somewhere to go, so they don't have time to be saying hi or yeah. whatever. But no, if like, you might be going somewhere, but it's just, hey, what's up? And it's yeah. like, it throws people off. Literally, I was, I was so shocked because... In London, like, I just grew up feeling that you don't have to do that. Like, you, you don't really need to do that. But here it's like, you go to the shop, good morning, how are you, right? I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you've said that because, like, that, some people will deny it, but that's, that's the truth. Obviously, you don't have the weather up here, but 
that thing there, everyone will say hi. And it's, you know, it's a vibe. So anyway, so you go from being an academy graduate, playing for one of the biggest clubs in England, to then moving with a big price tag. We have to call it what it is, because I think that's the fourth highest in the club's history. Mm-hmm. Did you feel or do you feel pressure or the other side of the coin? Do you feel confidence in knowing that you're valued very highly by a team? Yeah, like I was really like, I'm like, wow, the fact that I costed that much. Like, whoa, I didn't know me from playing in the park with my friend playing in the park that I was ever going to cost that much. And yeah, I was like, wow, that's a big, of course it's a big price tag, but it's given me that motivation after that, try and prove to everyone that I'm worth that. Yeah, and you're doing, you're doing all right, you're doing all right, you're doing all right. I still, I've got a long way to go. Yeah, I mean, of course. I've got a lot of improving to do, but yeah. Of course, of course, of course. And to, to get an emotional question out again, is there anything you miss about the South? It's just like family and friends. Like, it's just so easy for me. Like, as soon as I come from training, I normally nap. Then I'll probably, or post-corona, before corona happened, I will probably just go chill with my friends, go do something. Mm. With my friends, chill, FIFA, or whether it's just quickly go grab something to eat. Whereas up here, before corona, I literally just stay in my house. Yeah. This is this is maybe this is an age thing. This is an age thing. I think in time you'll you'll pick up with the little hobbies and things like that. But at twenty four, yeah. I I understand your pain. I understand your pain. <laughs> but that pain was a long time ago for me. <laughs> so, have you played against Arsenal in that time since you've been at the club? Uh, twice. Yeah. And how did that feel the first time? If I know three times, the first time or oh, pain. The first time was at home like at Everton and I got injured in like the first 10-15 minutes mm. that's my first ever professional injury really so that, like that one there was a, uh, mentally that's probably one of been my biggest challenges mm-hmm. in football mm-hmm. but then the other two times played them at Emirates we've lost 3-2 narrowly and then we beat them at home again 2-1 so your record's not too bad then, but when you when you were getting ready for that first game, obviously you got injured, but what did you have any emotions about playing that team which you knew so well? Or was it just a case of they're just another team now? No, I was like, it's, before the game, I was always thinking to myself, I want to prove that I'm a player that they miss sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So when, obviously the first game I played them is when I got my injury, I was so disappointed because I was looking forward to that game. I was thinking, yes, my family are even here. Friends are watching. I'm thinking, nah, this is where I need to show that Arsenal, that this is what they let go of. This is literally the boy that grew up at Arsenal, the talent that they had and they let go. Mm -hmm. And my ended up letting go of me. So, So we talk about playing against Arsenal, but obviously being an Everton player, we have to talk about playing against Liverpool. So the first question is, having been a Toffee now for two years, have you grown to hate Liverpool yet? Or is it or is it still calm now? Um, I, I understand the passion, the hate. I'm slowly engaging in it a bit more. Like, for when we beat Liverpool for the first time is when I actually felt like, wow. Yeah, yeah. I hate Liverpool. Because mm-hmm. the way we were I was like, wow, like, we, we really hate Liverpool. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that, the first, the first time we won against was always going to be the biggest thing, and it made me realize how much like 
passion and how much there's a division between Everton and Liverpool. You don't um you don't live in the city, do you? I've been there. I've been there a couple of times. Because that's one of the things which say some people, because we've got half the audience is uh, is American, so they kind of miss certain bits of these rivalries. Like there's a mild difference between the two stadiums. The city, for as much as you have Tranmere, is essentially red or it's blue. There's no yeah. like maybe this or maybe that. Like I always found as well in London, especially the more central you go, obviously there are like, um, you know, you've got the certain sections where the stadiums are where you get the fan bases, but you could essentially, most people could walk around London and nobody know who they are. But when you yeah. go to one of these big cities with two big teams, wherever you go, everybody knows who you are. And the downside is for as much as one guy will pat you on the back, the other guy will slap you in the face. And yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And there's a there's a lot of that. And, and it's, for me, I enjoyed being a part of playing for Man City because like the rivalry is huge. Yeah. And it, obviously it got closer as the years went by but it means everything to people it's a fixture they look for before anything yeah. and obviously you had that with the North London derby but I feel like maybe I'm wrong when you can tell me but I feel like the Merseyside derby is a bit different to the North London one because the Merseyside one obviously it could be one with good football but passion has to be shown number one before anything you know what I mean <laughs> and have you have you found that or is that not the case um the only difference for me is that obviously, like you said, in North London, you won't know who's like, you won't really know who supports you, like can get by. Mm. But I, here, like in the city of Liverpool, you either have to pick between one or two. Like you can't, people have like flags on their windows. People mm. have people have red or blue cars. Mm-hmm. So many things that like, even when I went to the shop once, and one person wouldn't serve me because I'm an Everton player. And I was like, oh. <laughs> it was even this jumper I'm wearing. I just want to purchase this jumper. And they said, no, nah, like, I, can't, I can't serve you. Like, you're a nice guy, but I feel like I can't do it. And I was like, wow. Like, someone else had to serve me the jumper. Yeah, that's that's nuts. And it's, it's I think it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing because you get that level of passion and yeah. support you can see the history behind it so to play in it you'll know you'll never play in a game which doesn't mean anything like those yeah. games mean everything every time you know regardless of what the positions are it means everything every time so um what would you say uh the biggest surprise has been for you then since you've moved up north to play for everton the biggest surprise um I wouldn't say there's any surprise. Like before um, coming to Everton, like my agent did tell me that it's like the people's club. The fans are really yeah. club. so. Like when I obviously first played and I've been to the community stuff, I was like, wow, like the way the people are involved with the club. Like so, where there's no fans now, like we really feel it. I was like, oh wow, like they make a big, big difference. I see that. I see that 100%. And hopefully they can come back safely soon, right? Because that's, yeah. that's all we want to see, isn't it? So did you, um, of the two clubs you played for, did you feel more pressure playing for a team that's seeking to find success again or the team like Everton who are trying to find true success for the first time? Um, I feel, I feel like there's more pressure. I feel like for me... I felt more pressure at Arsenal because of obviously what they've they've achieved and we weren't achieving what people that they used to do in the past. 
and where like it was my first time literally breaking through and you're seeing the tension in the change room you're seeing for the first time just seeing unnecessary fights that wow uh, it's, it's a big it's a big thing for me obviously there's always going to be fights there's going to be disagreements but at Everton I feel like the club's more it's more of a family club compared to uh, that's no disrespect to Arsenal because the club's obviously the staff everyone's wonderful but Everton's more of like a family club mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see that so another thing you've been playing for Nigeria since 2015 so you were 18 at the time is that right or 19 yeah okay so that, so that's right at the start of your career, but this was after playing for the Nigeria, for playing for the England youth sides. So how come? This is a bit of a converse question. How come you never played for the Nigerian youth sides? Um, I never got called up. I guess. <laughs> never got. I mean, obviously in school, you've grown up in the English culture. It was always going to be easier to play for England than in school. You're missing school to go to play for Nigeria. And yeah, I, I never got the opportunity until like at the age of 19, Nigeria wanted me to go under 23s Olympics. Mm. So that pulled up. So yeah, I, I, I wouldn't actually, because I think at that age, you can mix between both. You can play at both nationality, both, both teams. So I never got the opportunity until I was like 19. You know, um, so <laughs> there'll be some Nigerian people listening to this and listening to me talk about this because I never played for Nigeria nor England. I played for England youth, but I never, uh, but there was a misconception where people said that I did decided to not play for Nigeria to try and play for England, which never happened. But it came because um, it was free. It was an African nations actually, but it was when it was in, uh, in springtime and I was at city and I wasn't, playing week in week out because Roberto Mancini had just come in and I was basically like I didn't know where I stood anymore yeah. and the manager at the time called me and he said he wanted to take me to the African Nations and I was worried that if I went to the African Nations I'd come back and I'd have nothing so I told him that I explained that but from that point I think at this stage I must have been 23 22 22 23 from that point I never never ever got asked again and I just, every so often on social media, someone will be coming for me saying, I can't believe you did this. You chose yeah. to do this to beg for that. And I'm like, but yeah, yes. And it was never, it was never the case. But one thing I find with some players who could play for Nigeria, I feel like at times the Nigerian Federation picked them up too late. Because as you've said yourself, if you're in England and a letter comes to say you're going to play for England, you're just going to be playing for England. Of course. But in the same time, if a letter came from Nigeria and England, then you have a decision to make. But yeah. most people don't get offered that decision until probably it's too late. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then the perception is that they they just want to go this way or go that way. But I don't understand how they can miss so many players sometimes. At least at least try and find out. Because with England, if I feel with England, if a player has potential to be able to play for England and he's currently playing in Kazakhstan with a Kazakhstani name, but he's got like English grandparents, England know about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's in the system straight away, but I feel like that's not the case with back home. Why do you think that is? Um, do you know what? Recently, I feel like, because I get asked a lot about so many players in, in England now, they, like I feel like the scouting now has improved. Mm-hmm. So it's more with English or Nigerian players based in England. And I've been asked several questions, for example, about Abere Eze, mm. about, Shay Ojo about 
so many other players that they're looking to get in. So I feel like it's improving. Yeah. It, it, it definitely is improving because at one point, I'll tell you again, so Bertie Volts tried to get me to play and obviously I, did, I said I couldn't play at that time. But the only time I got spoken to after that was by a guy who was working some job in Newcastle who said that he knew a coach who could get me in contact with... Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah, that's how it used to work. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. So when they give me their card, I'm expecting to see something say Nigerian FA on it, but it says like... Uh, Mr. Mr. Jones, window cleaner. I'm like, yeah. it's not. Nah, what do you mean? Because even me, when I first got the invitation, compared to how England used to give out invitation, it was like, oh, this seems like it's a joke. Like, it doesn't seem like it's serious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Won't take it seriously. And I'm lucky enough to obviously had I had an uncle that played, so he already knew how the system worked. So like, I, I prepped myself before, but I remember. I can't remember who else t- showed me the invitation and saying, is this true? Like, this is a bit weird. Like, it don't seem official. Mm. Like, it's just the organisation compared to Nigeria and England is very, very different. Yeah. And let's, like, can we just have a moment to put some respect on your uncle's name? You just said your <laughs> uncle like it could be any guy. Your uncle's <laughs> JJ Akocha. Come on, have some respect. <laughs> uh, I just, like, my uncle, like, I sometimes I actually forget what he's done and what he's achieved. Nah, He's an icon, icon. Like even I've had people on the show before who talk about him when he was at PSG before Ronaldinho, you know, like that's who yeah. Ronaldinho was trying to come in to be similar to, similar to your uncle. And uh, was he a big reason why you ended up going straight into play for Nigeria so young, do you think? Yeah, he was definitely, he influenced me as well. I mean, he told me that when you play f- football, when you play football in Nigeria, you get treated like almost like you're a king, the mm-hmm. love they have for you. And Arsenal fan base in Nigeria was, is huge. Mm-hmm. He always told me that playing for Arsenal especially, you're going to get that love straight away. And I felt that love when I first went because I went for the under-23s, like I said, and I, had enough, I didn't play for the Arsenal first team at all. But people still knew who I was just from Arsenal 21s. And I was like, whoa. Yeah, that's big. That's big. I've, I've got to mention him specifically though as well. So um, my cousin... Uh, his dad is friends with JJ, yeah? But through all the trauma that I had with Nigeria, funnily enough, JJ was one of the people who had smoke for me saying that I was begging to play for him. <laughs> oh. he, he had so much smoke for me, but I, I can't, there's nothing I can say. That's like, that's your uncle in the culture. That's my uncle. So I'm saying nothing. <laughs> well, I don't know the situation. I'm picking no side. This is fine. I, there's, there was no beef. I was just being told. So I was like, all right, cool. No yeah. worries. No worries. Um, so I was going to ask about playing under pressure, whether it was more so for Arsenal or Nigeria. But to you, pressure, you put that into tyres. That's, that's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. So let's get to something bigger. When I was trying to get in touch and I was doing my research on you and so on, I came across something called Project 17. Can you tell me a little bit about that, please? And bearing in mind, I know you're young, but the way this media stuff works, you have to plug yourself now and tell people where to go and not just talk about it like it's some foreign thing, yeah? So let's go. So Project 17 is something me and my friends, my team, we've organised as a platform for me to express myself uh, give back to the community, show what a footballer goes through, like what the lifestyle they have to, what they have to do in the life of like a footballer. So with the platform I have, Instagram, we've made a YouTube account, Twitter, obviously my Snapchat's active. I'm just trying to show people that footballers, that we aren't human beings at the end of the day. 
but we've worked hard to get to where we are. So you're just showing, I like to show youngsters that if you want to get to where I am, it's very possible and you can still have fun at the end of the day, but you still got to put that hard work. So with Project 17, me and my team are finding out ways to express and show that. Yeah, see, this is, yeah, yes, because you said it was on Instagram, it's on Twitter, it's on YouTube, yes, Project 17, that's the plug. That's where you have to go. And when we talk about YouTube, people remember you have to subscribe, ring the notification bell, yeah. leave comments, all that interactive stuff so the algorithms will help Project 17 get to the right people. You see, I know this. Your experience with this, I'm so <laughs> <laughs> no, I, lo- I love that. I love that. I love that. So just one more thing then to close, okay? This is a question I ask every guest that comes on. I want to know what the best five-a-side team is that you could pick of players that you have played with in your career so far. Oh, boy. Put me on the spot here. Correct. Uh, <laughs> all right. 5 in go- I can't. I'm not putting myself in no, there. No, 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 no. Listen, get out your own backside, man. Of course, you're not picking no, I yourself. Say, I could never, ever be in that. Maybe even I won't even make the bet. <laughs> but um, uh, in goal, I will put Peter Check. Mm-hmm. He's much Chelsea, Arsenal. That he's and for someone I've never seen anyone speak as many languages as he does as well. Mm. He speaks five languages. So if you catch him in the change room, he can speak to you and he can go on and on and on. But uh, I'll put him there and go. I'll have one defender at the base, which will be, um, for me, best defender. When I was breaking through, I found it really hard playing against Koshani. Koshani, mm. great defender. Great, great defender. Um still playing at Bordeaux, no? I'm not sure, but he was, when he first came through, I think it was 2010 when he first signed for Arsenal and he was, he was top. I liked it. Uh, yeah, and then I'll put, um, I'll put two midfield, I'll put Santi, Kazaba, and Mesut Ozil. <laughs> Both of them in training. I feel like, I always say, Santi Kazaba is the best player I've ever seen and played with. Like, Left, right foot, a choke. And you see his physique. You, if you see him on the streets, which I've done a, a couple of times in North London, you think this guy don't even look like a footballer. <laughs> footballer, but he's a magician with the ball. Like it's crazy. And then Mesut Ozil, stats beat for itself. Sole player he is. Um, unfortunately, the way he left Arsenal wasn't nice, in my opinion. But great player. Great, great player. Then striker that I've played with. Um, I am gonna go for you know what I'm gonna go for Igalo. Igalo went like for the national team when I played. He's been gets goals and goals and goals, and he's so smooth and silky with it. Even in training, like the balls stick, and he scores the goals. That's like he people would be so erratic, but he's so calm in front of goal. And when he's playing for Nigeria, it's like wow, like it, it showed me like. You don't have to lace the ball. It can be composed and pass into the net. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And that there is a very, very good five-a-side team. I'll be honest. I've seen, I've seen some really good ones as well. But that that one there, I'll be, I, I'm glad that I'm retired, so I don't have to face anything yeah. like that. But yeah, man. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate you. Good luck uh, for thanks. the rest of the season. Enjoy being up north. And just admit, say it now, the north is better than people say down south. 
It's better than what people say, yes. There we go. That's all I needed. That's the thumbnail. That's the wording. That's the clip that's going to get sent around everywhere, man. But thank you very much, bro. No worries, bro. Thank you. Take care. You too. Wait. So there you have it. Another episode in the books. I hope you enjoyed listening to Alex as much as I did. And with a bit of luck, the next few years of his career will bring him more success. And so, even more stories to share with you and I, especially while representing Nigeria. Wink, wink. But anyway, to close, thanks again to you all for listening. And thank you to the main man and the show's producer, Mr. Ryan Hale. Be sure to subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already. And make sure you check out some of our past episodes if you need your kickback fix. Bye for now.